Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos. My intention with this experiment is to inspire hope and inspiration in your creative pursuits. Follow along as I interview artists, makers, entrepreneurs, and creatives from all walks of life. Listen while you work, listen while you create, listen while you dream up the next breakthrough idea. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, or craft, whatever that may be. These interviews are evidence of that fact. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Share this with your friends, family, and all those creative people you know out there. Now, let's dive into this concept we call creativity. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast, everybody. Today, I have a very special guest. He is a great friend of mine. This is Ben Morse. He's from Fort Collins, Colorado. He is a design manager at the University of Michigan. Um, Ben's got a really awesome life story. He's a very young man. He's probably, I don't know, 33 or 4 or something like that. But he's, uh, he's done a ton with his life. And uh, we actually met when I was my first year coaching soccer for the men's team at Colorado State. And Ben was going into his freshman year. And so I was working with him and we always connected and he was such a funny little dude just asking really great questions and uh, he always had a a really fun energy to him and he got a kick out of me for various reasons. So that was the start of our friendship and it's just grown and developed from there and uh, he's just so awesome in all these different ways. So I'm very excited for you to get to hear some of his wisdom and yeah, I hope to have him back on the show at some point. We'll definitely do that again in a couple of months. Uh, ben will be a fun, fun regular check-in because um, he's got got good views on things. So anyway, thanks for listening. And without further ado, Ben Morse. Welcome everybody to the podcast. I'm your host Taylor Gallegos, and with me is the one and only, the legendary Benjamin Morse from Fort Collins, Colorado. Ben, thanks for being on the show with me today. Hello, Mr. Taylor Gallegos. Happy to be here. It's a, it's an it's an important moment to connect. I think it is. It is. Why Why do you say that specifically? Yeah, I mean, you know, thinking of where we're sitting right now in, in mid-May 2020 and, you know, thinking about how our, our world has been flipped upside down, turned inside out and uh, tossed around a little bit. I think that, you know, a lot of us out there and are experiencing our our current moment in, in very different ways. And I think there's a lot to unpack there. I think there's a lot that we can go inward and reflect on. And I think there's a lot we can reach out to others and and connect with and think through. So, you know, I think that this this conversation is a very timely one and I'm definitely looking forward to diving deeper with you. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I feel the same way. And it was cool. I, I called you the other day or I don't know, last week. And you're one of those people in my life that I feel like there's t- when, when things get a little crazy, sometimes I just want to like connect with you and get your perspective on it. You know, you are 
a very worldly human. I feel like you've got a good um, zoomed out approach or vision on a lot of things while also having a good understanding of the like minutia also. Um, so it's always, it's always awesome. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show. So why don't we uh, start out, give everyone a little uh, brief understanding of who you are, where you're from, how you got to where you're at, what you do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a really good spot to start, to start that piece is uh, you mentioned Fort Collins, Colorado in the, in the beginning of this call. And, you know, I'm, I'm originally from Fort Collins. Uh, that's obviously where you and I met through soccer at Colorado state. And uh, you know, I've, I've been very privileged in, in my upbringing. I've had a lot of really amazing opportunities that my parents afforded me. And uh, that, that really spurred me on a, a really kind of circuitous, circuitous path that, uh, you know, makes sense when I, when I tell the story and I think about it linearly, but uh, also just makes no sense at all. So I, you know, I started traveling internationally since I was three years old and uh, got to go out and experience cultures and people and food and smells and create memories that were fat, vastly different than my reality in, in Fort Collins. And I think by, by doing that, it really set me up to, to have a lens that uh, looks a little bit beyond, um, you know, my, my purview and looks, looks a little bit into, uh, into others and, and really helped me build some empathy. Um, so, you know, traveled a lot when I was, when I was younger and, uh, you know, there's this short little story here that, that I always try to dive into. And I, when I explain how meaningful travel was, as I was growing up, um, I was probably about, you know, five or six years old. And I was in Aruba with my parents and, you know, we were staying at one of the really nice resorts and we were inside the resort and, um, you know, enjoying the water slides and the food and all the things that you do and the sun and the surf. And uh, my dad always made it a point uh, to take my sister and I out of the resort to go into the the village or into the town and uh, go eat some of the local food and and just kind of hang out and get to know folks. And I remember leaving the resort, going into the small town and uh, asking my dad this question. I said, Dad, uh, why is everybody in the resort white and everybody out here in the town is black? And I don't remember his answer, but I remember the, the salience of the question and that notion that there are others living so closely together that are having very different life experiences stuck with me. And I think that that really kind of set me on a trajectory toward exploration and, and empathy in a way that I, I probably would not have had without uh, those types of experiences growing up. So, you know, fast forward through, uh, you know, some additional journeys academically studying abroad, um, you know, was lucky enough to, to live in Australia for a bit, live in Costa Rica for a little bit and um, ended up joining the Peace Corps after I, I graduated, um, after you and I were, were done kicking soccer balls around and, uh, you know, headed out to Ethiopia for a couple years and, you know, got my hands dirty and in, in soil and uh, community and uh, really understanding, understanding and listening to, to folks and just learning from people and trying to figure out where I, I can plug in and contribute. And you know, learned uh, an, a lifetime of lessons uh, by by living in Ethiopia, and met my wife Mary 
I was another Peace Corps volunteer there at the time and uh, decided to kind of blindly move to Detroit, Michigan for a bit and ended up going, uh, jumping into University of Michigan for grad school, spending some time there and, uh, you know, (laughs) jumped out, had a stint in a a social enterprise startup for a little bit and and transportation of all things in Detroit and then ended up in my current position where uh, I work at the Center for Academic Innovation at the University of Michigan and I essentially help faculty create online courses um, uh, around really salient social issues. So there, there is a, a thread through there, uh, but that's kind of the, the quick high level of, of one version of my journey. Um, there are many other rabbit holes we can go down. <laughs> and we will, and we will. Um, yeah, I mean, okay, well, right off the bat, it jumps out at me is how interesting that you have this job that puts academic elements online like and then COVID-19 hits and that's exactly what everybody is forced to do what's what's that been like what's what's the whole story there for you yeah yeah it's I mean that's a really good question I think that you know we're we're having a moment not just in higher education but across our educational systems of trying to you know, make these ridiculous acrobatic uh, moves and and try to figure out how to go from face to face and in person learning, uh, which which has a totally different pedagogical approach than creating something for the online space. Uh, we're trying to learn new tools. We're trying to uh, learn how to create meaningful interaction uh, with screens as our medium. We're trying to, you know, take the our tried and true teaching methods uh, that we've used for many, many years. And then we're trying to take that and adapt it to uh, a a completely new and very unfamiliar context. So, you know, I I think that we will have a lot of lessons learned at the end of this thing. Um, One of the pieces that we think about at the Center for Academic Innovation is actually, uh, you know, the the first phase in in March um, when everything kind of hit the fan and uh, we had to go into kind of emergency protocol to get to get learning going again after we we had to send folks home and shut things down. Uh, that would be more of kind of an emergency remote distance model. And we're starting to see shifts toward uh, actually designing online courses using best practices and, and using online pedagogy and, and different approaches that allow us to uh, create that really high, high level um, deep learning experience that that we know everybody needs and i think the gap between the switch to remote in emergency mode and the uh intentional design is is pretty wide right now uh not just at the university of michigan but you know i i think of um my three-year-old elias who uh, just started preschool right before all of this happened and uh went literally went there for about two or three months and then was, uh, you know, forced to, to stay home. And uh, on our end, it was trying to figure out how to continue his connection with his teachers, how to uh, continue some of the learning arcs that they started to, to explore and some of those journeys that they were starting to go on. And I know that there are parents all over this world that are, are wearing many, many hats and trying to keep a job and keep food on the table and keep their kids safe, but also make sure that their kids aren't falling behind and, uh, I think all of those pieces of the puzzle are uh, a huge challenge, but I think a really big opportunity for for growth. And I think that uh, 
you know, collectively we're, we're starting to step into this moment, which is cool to see. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I don't have kids and it is just kind of mind blowing thinking about what parents are going through right now. Um, Just the challenge of not only like keeping things afloat, keeping things going, keeping the kids occupied, but like uh, just like the, the emotional element of it, like kids don't get to see their friends anymore. Like adults don't get to see their friends anymore. It's like, we're all uh, just like tangled up in this huge mess. And I mean, one, one thing that I'm, I'm sure you could speak to is like how different, different levels of, uh, or I won't say levels, but like different people in different rungs of society are de- like, are having to deal with different elements of this. Um, you know, it, it shows the divide between privilege and not privileged. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, the, we know that, Folks are disproportionately impacted by this that are living in polluted communities, typically communities of color. Uh, we know that uh, the, the majority of uh, really bad outcomes with COVID are falling on African-American populations. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of inequities in, in our country, in, in our culture, and really across the world that are, uh, you know, being exacerbated by by this moment. And I, it's one of those those things that you take a step back. And I think that a lot of people are frustrated and angry with this virus. And and a lot of people uh, are focusing on that as one of the the primary pieces here. But I I also think we need to take a step back and think about the the systemic issues that exist to allow something like this to even happen. Uh, The decisions that our our leaders have been making, the uh, personal decisions that all of us as individuals are making, and I think that, you know, we all need to take ownership over this piece and we need to start thinking about how we're going to move forward collectively to, to come together to, you know, <laughs> prepare for the next one of these things that inevitably will hit us and it, it probably will be a lot worse. Um, and again, it's, it's going to fall uh, quite squarely on the shoulders of folks that, uh, you know, already have uh, a lot of undue stress and uh, already don't have access to a lot of the the luxuries that many of us do. And I think that that's, that's the reconciliation that, that I think we're going to have to make. And I think that that's, that's a moment for all of us to, to listen to and to pause and to, you know, just, just take note and, and just be open to those, those sentiments um, wherever you're at on that, on that chain. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say come like we're gonna need to come together because like with a quick scroll down Facebook, you know, you can see quite clearly quickly that we as a country are not together. And there's there's like so many different camps in this whole thing of, of perspectives on it. And uh yeah, it's it's really just kind of a trip how many how many different views people are taking on everything. Yeah. I, you know, we, we see the polarization machine that is, is at works across, uh, you know, all of our media, across our own social channels, across, uh, you know, a lot of the physical interactions that uh, are taking place. For example, the, the protests in, in Michigan where I'm sitting right now and, and some of those really kind of viscerally frustrating um, moments, 
the other piece of that is, you know, I've been able to connect to some of my neighbors that I have only talked to two or three times since moving into this house five years ago. And, uh, my, my back neighbor, Vicki, uh, we see each other almost every day now and we're, you know, walking up to the fence and we're asking each other, how we're, how we're doing. Do you need anything? Uh, you know, how are the boys doing? How's, how's Mary doing at the hospital? Uh, cause she's a physician assistant and, and works there. Um, you know, I ask her how her husband is doing. He's got a garden center that he works at. And, uh, we have these connections that, uh, only arose in this moment. Right. And I think that it's, it's another one of those opportunities to, to look deep within and, you know, see who's around you and, and realize that we're all, <laughs> we're all in this together and we're all being affected by, by many, many, many different layers of this. I'm sure that you're seeing similar things in your, your artwork and some of the connections that you're, you know, you've made over the years, but I'm sure that there are some new ones that are, that are percolating around, around this particular moment as well. Yeah, definitely. And there's, it, there's just so much beauty and goodness along with all the really terrible stuff and the challenges and, um, it, it just, it's like anything there's like, there's beauty and growth and opportunity uh, along with all the devastation and the, the challenge. Um, so you did a little bit of, or you've been doing some volunteering recently. You told me. Yeah. Yeah. I did a little bit of volunteering. Um, you know, my, my wife, Mary did a little bit more than myself. We, uh, you know, I think that I, I've always said after Peace Corps, uh, I will, uh, I won't have any occupation that keeps me so connected to the impact and to the work that I'm doing. And uh, I think that a lot of return Peace Corps volunteers are always looking for ways to to jump in and to, uh, to be of service. And I think that this moment offers us really great opportunities to think about our roles as Americans and think about why as individuals we we thrive and and why our individual mindset in the, in the u.s is so powerful and and i think that it's definitely has its downsides but uh mary and i were lucky enough to to be able to find a volunteer organization and go and help administer some some drive-through uh covid testing uh in a, a city that's just right outside of detroit and uh I'll tell you what, when I, when I saw the faces of the 300 plus folks that came through that day and when I was out there just uh, mainly running test kits out to cars and verifying IDs and, and just kind of running back and forth so that the, uh, the pharmacists could do their, their jobs, you know, I, I looked deep into the eyes of every person coming through and, you know, there's a whole range of reactions, but, you know, people are scared and I think people want to know what's going on and, uh, you know, this is a, a really unique moment and that, that type of a, a connection with somebody when I'm, I'm sitting there with a face mask and a face shield on and I go up to their car and I try to smile, but they can't see my face. So I, I had to adapt a, a goofy wave so that they could see a little bit of my personality and these ways that you can kind of figure out how to be creative to continue to make those connections where, we are so blocked off from, from these interactions right now, but they are so, so needed right now. And, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me from that experience was, you know, 
folks were coming through and if they worked at a hospital, they would put their badge up on the windshield. If they were a firefighter, they put their badge up on the wheelchair. Same with police officers and uh, school teachers and, and people really wanted you to know who they were, what their identity was and, and how they were contributing to this moment. And I think that that, that speaks so many volumes, uh, the folks that are able to be out there to support the rest of us that can't be out there because of our health conditions or can't be out there because of our age or uh, have to be out there because we need to be putting food on the table. Uh, you know, those folks coming through are, are really the true heroes. And, uh, you know, I, I think I just always reflect on my time in Ethiopia where uh, I always say it was the most selfish thing I've ever done because I learned so much from the, the people of Ethiopia when I was there. And uh, I, I think similarly on, on most volunteering excursions, it's, it's not about, you know, what you're giving up by giving that time. It's about what you're gaining. And that, that frame has been super salient for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at the same time, all the, I mean, talk a little bit about what you guys did in Ethiopia. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so I, I was a environmental volunteer, so worked on a lot of food security projects. Um, but you know, that was the, the interesting thing about Peace Corps is we, we have three jobs, essentially. We have three main goals. Uh, the first goal is the, the goal that you think about when you hear about a volunteer, right? It's their job. It's teaching in a school. It's working with the agricultural office like I did. It's working in the health center like Mary did. Um, it's that, you know, you know, capital J job. Uh, but the second and third goal are cross-cultural goals. And, and the second goal of Peace Corps is really just, you know, teaching, uh, in my case, Ethiopians about American culture and about our country and our history and uh, who we are as a nation and uh, inversely learning about Ethiopian culture and learning about uh, the ins and the outs of, of their history, of, of their, you know, the stories that, that they can tell about their lifestyle and um, really just exchanging uh, you know, cultural interaction. And the third goal is what I'm doing literally right now. It's a goal that never stops um, just, you know, talking to, to fellow Americans about Ethiopia and about my experiences there and just sharing that with the world. And, you know, those, those three pieces are really important to me. And I think the first one, you know, I, I'm really proud of a few of the projects that I did in orchard establishment or, uh, you know, compost training or environmental education. And uh, there are some cool numbers that you can tick off and put in a report. Um, but the things that last, the things that, that run true and genuine and really deep are the relationships that I made and my best friend, Abadi, that uh, is still over there and uh, running his own videography business. And him and I made some educational music videos together. And uh, you talk about peak creativity from a, an artistic lens, from a technical lens, and from a, uh, the highest level of ingenuity that I think I've ever experienced. Try to make some music videos in a, a rural town in Ethiopia and uh, your, your world will flip on its head. And, you know, I, I learned so much from that experience, but uh, one of the pieces is I just keep learning from it. And uh, Mary and I were actually set to go back to Ethiopia on May 26th. So in about a, a week and a half or so, and 
obviously we had to cancel our trip this time. We've been back a few times and we hope to go back again soon. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an incredible experience. Well, and you mentioned just a little bit ago, um, empathy for humanity. Um, what did that experience do for, for, for that in, in you? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, everything, absolutely everything. Um, you know, I've, I've got a lot of stories that I can tell that, that fall into that, that category. I think that, um, every single Peace Corps volunteer and really every person that has been able to step out of their own shoes for a little bit and, uh, make an effort to go and to listen and like really listen, not just, you know, show up and, uh, you know, pretend to listen with an agenda in your back pocket, but really sit down and, and listen to folks, uh, talk about their, their successes, their triumphs, their failures, their aspirations, their hopes, their dreams. And, you know, that, that human to human connection just can't be replaced by anything. And, you know, I, I know that it, it set me up for, uh, for a lot afterwards and it it definitely got the wheels turning and, um, everything from running out in rural Ethiopia with, you know, uh, a six or seven year old that's running to school with no shoes on carrying their books, no water. It's, you know, 80 to 80, 85 degrees out. And I'm out there in my fancy ass Nike running shoes, uh, with my iPod and my, my music and my sunglasses and, and all the things. And I'm just, you know, sitting there next to this, this little kid who's just rocking it. And, you know, those are the moments that stick with you. Um, but, but the lessons are also for a lifetime. <laughs> um, one of my favorite things to do is to ask people that I just met, um, what their, what their dreams are, like, what's their passion in life? Like, you can always ask somebody, how are you doing? And often, you know, give you a generic, like, oh, fine or good or whatever. Or you can ask them, like, what do you do for work? And they'll, or what, what do you do? And then they'll just like go into sort of robot mode telling you about it. And sometimes they're into it, but ask them what their passion is. And then all of a sudden, like you see their eyes light up and you get this whole different version of this human. Like that's the true person that you're talking to. It's not their job. It's not, you know, anything else. And, and it's so cool. Cause like, that's what I'm envisioning. Like when you talk to these people, like that's who you see. And like, that's when you connect with the real human being. Yeah. Yeah. I, yes, absolutely. I, you know what, um, you want to talk about passion. You, you think about some of the things that people have been through and you think about, you know, what, what keeps you going, right? You've been diagnosed with this horrible disease and you are the happiest person that I've ever met, or you've been faced with so much adversity in your life and, uh, you still are sitting there with a huge smile on your face. Like, what is that? And I think that we all want that and we all want to understand that and grab onto that and, and try to learn from that. And I think that there have been a, many moments in my life where I, I really want to dive deep and think about, you know, how can I be the most authentic version of myself that I can possibly be? And, how can I make daily small changes that will get me to that mountaintop and everybody's mountaintop is different. And when you get to one mountaintop, you see a taller mountain and then you got to go climb that mountain. And, 
Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a never ending journey, but to be on this journey, uh, this, this beautiful journey of life, you know, you, you need to really be able to learn from every single person that you meet, flip that and apply it to your own life and, and try to keep asking yourself those really tough questions of, am I living up to my true authenticity? And I think a lot of people are so numb with the technology that's in our pockets, with the, the addiction that is our, our Instagram or our, our email or uh, Netflix or whatever it is for you, that's, that's sucking the life soul out of, out of who we are as humans. And the, the quicker you can put some boundaries up there, try to learn your behaviors and, and kind of deconstruct the, the inertia that, uh, that exists. I, I think that the better off our, our entire planet will be. And, you know, we see this on the highest levels of our environmental catastrophe that, that we're living through right now. We're seeing so much momentum sprinting in one direction and we see lack of creativity. We see the inability to stop the status quo. We see people passing on responsibility and just saying, Hey, this is, this isn't me. I do my small part and I'm totally content and comfortable with that. And I think that uh, there's a lot of legitimacy in those types of comments, but I also think that when you really truly look at who you are and who you're meant to be, you're going to question every single one of those tiny little decisions. And you're going to sit there and look at the mirror and you're going to think you're looking at the biggest asshole in the world. <laughs> and like, you know, one of the things that, that Mary and I decided to, to jump into, um, I don't know if you're going to ask me about this, but I'm just going to seed a question for myself that um, we, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we decided to take on a, a hundred mile ultra marathon to explore answering some of those really tough questions and really carve out some time and dedicate ourselves to something that was much larger than who we were as individuals and uh, something that seemed virtually impossible when we even had the original idea and it's by putting yourself through adversity and by exposing yourself to challenge is where true growth comes from and if you're not willing to put yourself out there you're never going to grow if you're just going to sit on the couch and watch netflix all day you can't expect your dreams to come true you can't expect uh, your world to change around you you're just kind of sitting there while while the world is moving without you so break that down for us. You both ran a hundred mile race together. You trained and, and this is after Mary had one kid, two kids. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, this was an interesting adventure. Um, <laughs> there, there are a few places to start. I mean, I, you know, running has been core to her and I's relationship since Ethiopia. We met kind of through running and, she kicked my ass on a training one, run one time. I was thrown up on the side of the road and I vowed that, you know, I wouldn't let that happen again. Um, <laughs> we wanted to do something that seemed absolutely impossible. We wanted to, you know, find what our, our Mount Everest was and we wanted to, you know, be role models for our two boys. So we've got a three-year-old and a one and a half year old right now. And at the time of these first, you know, conversations and discussions, 
we were coming off a really long year with Elias, our oldest. He was really colicky. You know, he took a lot out of us. Um, I had a startup for the entire previous year. Uh, and so I had no income, but I graduated. I had a lot of student debt. You know, there was the startup took a huge toll on my health, both physically, mentally, um, you know, really trying to shift into being a parent, a first time parent as well, and trying to get through some of the worst stages of colic that uh, if you don't know what colic is, basically Elias didn't sleep. Uh, he really struggled to, to pass gas or to his belly was always hurting. And so he was always upset. And uh, when, when you have those pieces of the puzzle come together, it, it's a pretty difficult, uh, oh pretty God. difficult task. And I know a lot of people, you know, experience similar things. And, you know, for me, like, you know, I, I remember being like embarrassed, frustrated, uh, reflective, but also kind of stubbornly reflective on like, how the hell did I get here? Um, I remember gaining weight and my pants didn't fit anymore because I was casually drinking a few beers while I was gardening to just de-stress and had no idea, uh, that's never happened to me in my entire life before, you know? So like, there were all these things that were kind of building and, um, you know, for, for Mary as well, like, you know, there were a lot of, you know, stresses of being, uh, first time mom and, and going through, um, some, some health challenges along the way. And, you know, we both kind of uh, wanted to hit the pause button and just kind of rethink where we were at because we were both burnt out. And, you know, I think a, not a lot of people would choose our path that we chose, but we, um, you know, I started just researching races. We had read a few books in Ethiopia about ultra marathoners, and um, I had the opportunity to meet Scott Jurek, who's the, the Michael Jordan of ultra running. Uh, in my village in Ethiopia, which is another interesting little side story. Um, and nice. he's, he's a vegan ultra runner and, you know, Mary and I and the boys are, are all plant-based. So it, it seemed to fit. And, um, you know, we just started coming together, uh, lifting out of that, the fog of, of the first, the first kiddo. And, you know, I basically just pitched Mary one day on, on this idea of, running a hundred miles and, uh, she, uh, she reluctantly accepted and we started thinking about it. So Mary actually was, was super pregnant with our second little boy, Aiden at the time. And, uh, to try to convince her to sign up for a hundred mile race was one of the, the more challenging things I think I've ever done. And, um, you know, she actually started training, uh, before Aiden was born, you know, we were running and she was, she was running pregnant. She did this with Elias and, uh, one of the, the strongest humans ever. And, uh, you know, we just said, okay, let's get through the, the birth, see how everything goes. And then we can consider signing up. And, uh, it was about one month after Aiden was born and we, we signed up for a hundred mile race called run Woodstock here in Michigan. It was a, a trail race, 16.4 miles, uh, six loops, and uh, then we just started training with uh, an infant and a toddler. And um, there's a lot of ways I can, can follow up there. So I'm, I'm happy to toss it back to you to, to reflect on some of that and, and tell, me, tell me where to go next. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, just, that's just unfathomable to me, really. I mean, right off the bat, 
you're doing 16.4 miles and you're doing how a bunch of loops do you like in 100 miles do you basically like completely lose your mind while you're doing it and like go into altered states of consciousness that's i yes i mean absolutely like um so <laughs> you know that this this was about a a, a five month training plan where we both ran uh over 1500 miles in training um the the race is more the celebration at that point because you put the hard work in and the the ridiculous training that we did um mary would wake up at you know four 4.30 in the morning and go for a, a 20 mile run. Uh, I'd come back she'd come back. Then I would go out that evening and go for uh, my 20 mile run. And, you know, we did a lot of handoffs. We did a lot of, you know, food prep together and handing off those responsibilities back and forth. Uh, we're both working full time. Uh, just, just trying to, to get our miles in and recover uh, and, and give our bodies the, the, the sleep and the, a whole food plant-based, you know, diet that we need to, to recover, uh, and, you know, be parents. So like, yeah, that, that part was step one, um, which we can unpack a little bit if you would like, but you know, the, the actual race, uh, took, you know, almost 29 hours, uh, straight and it, it starts at 5 PM at night and you, you run through the, the night and you get a couple laps in and then you, you're running the next day. And, uh, you know, you, you definitely hit a lot of walls. Um, you also slam through and crush a lot of walls and keep going in ways that you never thought was possible, which is, you know, one of the most amazing things about, about running, about ultra running in particular is you are capable of so much more than you think you are. And we as humans, uh, whether you're running a hundred miles, you're running a 5k or you're trying to write your first book or paint your first mural of a beautiful whale. Uh, you know, we are so yeah. capable and, and those are the, the things that work for me. Uh, they don't work for everybody, but it was, it was definitely uh, a mind stretching body bending experience. Yeah. I mean, it feels to me like you guys are superhuman um, in a lot of ways. And <laughs> like, okay, so this podcast, one of the central focuses is creativity. And I feel like it's got to take a ton of creativity and teamwork between the two of you to manage all of those working pieces at the same time, working the scheduling of the, like, you've got, you both got jobs, you've got kids, you've got feeding the kids. I mean, that alone right there is a huge challenge and time energy focus everything and then you're working in these training schedules and then like eating and meal planning i mean are you guys having were you do you guys have meetings together all the time is this like like what are your strategies of how to actually like make your lives work yeah i mean that's that's a really great question i you know i think that you you know my first response to that is you got to do what what works for you. Um, you got to know who you are and you got to know what makes you tick. Um, for Mary and I, you know, we both love to learn. Uh, we, we have a borderline addiction to, to learning new things and really trying to uncover the, the great mysteries that are beyond our scope of understanding. And I think in situations like this, it, it bodes well because we can, uh, ask a lot of questions and collectively try to get those answers. So a lot of questions around, uh, you know, 
training plan? How many miles um, per week? How do you ramp up to get to a baseline to be able to put the training in? Um, we sat down and created a pretty regimented schedule of who runs when. Um, like I said, Mary usually ran in the morning. I ran in the evenings. We would do long runs on the weekends. Um, basically, there was always one of us running and the other one with the kids and trying to you know, support in you know, growing food, cooking food, uh, all, all of the things to, to build up that base. Like, uh, I wouldn't like be telling the truth if I didn't say there were a lot of trade-offs. Um, and I think that one of the, the first conversations Mary and I had was what are we, what are we going to give up and what are we going to gain and why are we doing this? And we thought very, very deeply about what we're giving up, giving up time with the kids, um, you know, giving up um, socialization with with friends, going out for a beer, um, you know, giving up, you know, extra extra time with the family, those kind of things. Um, just to to name a few, you know, there were there were a lot of trade offs, but you know, we we systematically sat down and just really thought through what are what is this going to take and uh, how bad do we want this? And I think one of the the bigger lessons learned is if you want something bad enough, you'll, you'll find a way to do it. We're very creative people. Uh, just generally collectively humans can adapt really, really well. And I, I think that the notion that we're superheroes is uh, kind of silly because, you know, you and I played soccer, you know, shoulder to shoulder. And uh, you know, other than my, my glass ankles that always got injured uh, I would say we're pretty, pretty equal in, in terms of our fitness. Uh, I'm a hundred percent certain that you could run a hundred miles if you, if you put the training in to do it. Um, I think another kind of misnomer with, with ultra running is, you know, we're not running, we're not running five minute miles. We're running, you know, 12 to 14 minute miles. We're just doing a lot of them in a row. Uh, we're using what's called zone two heart rate in training and in, in the actual event. So we're keeping our heart rate uh, low enough to have a conversation and carry on with somebody next to us. So we're, we're not booking it. <laughs> we're going pretty slow. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's just one of those, those little kind of tidbits, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we always told each other, uh, you know, we would do this so long that it, so long as it made sense for, for our family. And we would do this as long as we could support each other through it. And I think that her and I are way too competitive for one person to be doing it and the other not to be. So uh, by taking it on as a collective uh, challenge, I think that we, we were able to rise to the occasion uh, together. Mm. Okay. Now talk a little bit about uh, your, your version of health and wellness and how your diet plays in and how like your view on food in general. Yeah. Food's food's great. <laughs> you know, um, everybody <laughs> eats, you know, food is a choice that every single person on the face of the planet makes every day. And that manifests in many, many ways. And we all have different access to different types of foods. And uh, we're part of different uh, cultural circles that, that impact those decisions. Uh, you know, we all have, have varying degrees of understanding as to to what is uh, quote unquote healthy and what uh, is, is detrimental. Um, you know, for for me personally, I grew up allergic to dairy, so anaphylactically allergic to milk, 
uh, carried an EpiPen most of my life and, you know, never, never had the stuff. Um, a lot of people say, how did you live without cheese? Uh, and I said, easy, because if I ate cheese, I would die. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so I, I got pretty used to that part, but, you know, I, I ate meat growing up and I ate, um, you know, I worked at a burger joint for a while and, you know, just like most, most Americans in our, in our diet. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I, I didn't really think twice about for, for a while. My relationship with, with food was more transactional at best and, uh, shaped largely by the environment in which I was raised. And as a, a you know, young soccer player, the high metabolism, I could basically eat anything with no uh, negative repercussions to my health, at least no, no visible <laughs> repercussions or none that I was aware of at the moment. Um, could eat as many calories as I want and still, you know, have a six pack and be able to go and, and play soccer all day. And uh, that's, that's just, you know, the body that I was, I was given. And uh, so I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of, you know, reasons to, to change what I was eating. Um, you know, went to, you know, as an undergrad, I, I really started to learn a little bit more about our food systems, uh, where my, my food came from, doesn't come from the grocery store, spoiler alert. Um, and, uh, you know, really trying to understand what I'm putting in my body. And I, I made some progress, mostly environmentally focused. Uh, when I say progress, I mean toward, you know, eating less meat, um, being less consumptive and less wasteful in general. And, you know, so in Ethiopia um, is really where I, I progressed in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, there isn't a lot of refrigeration. Um, you have to uh, you know, slaughter your own animals to be able to eat meat if you so choose when you're living there. Um, about four weeks uh, into my my uh, stay in my village, I was given the honor of slaughtering a sheep for uh, a big holiday. And uh, this was a sheep that I had fed every single day for four weeks because it lived literally right in front of my my house in my compound. And I had to memorize a prayer in, in the local, uh, like the ancient uh, language of the uh, Orthodox, uh, Ethiopian Orthodox uh, Christian church uh, called Gez. And, you know, I had to memorize the prayer to bless the animals so that everybody in my compound would eat it. And it was a, it was a big to-do. Uh, it was a really big honor, but, you know, killing, killing a sheep with a, a dull knife is not the best experience <laughs> that one can have. And, um, you know, that was definitely a bit of a personal turning point for me, just uh, from, a, you know, seeing another uh, living creature suffering uh, at the hands of myself, uh, which was which was kind of a tough, tough pill to swallow. And, you know, in, in Ethiopia, I started kind of downplaying um, the amount of, of meat that I ate and ended up evolving a bit and came back to the U.S. and uh you know, tried to eat a burger and got pretty sick, given the amount of uh, stuff that we put in our, our pretty processed burgers here in the States and kind of just said, all right, I'm good with that. Um, one of the things that I, I always mention is, you know, by going plant-based, uh, you know, it's it's a spectrum and it's there isn't one way to do it. There isn't one way to to eat, uh, you have to do what works for you. And 
uh, you have to understand it's a, it's a journey. It takes a long time to learn what real food is. It takes a long time to re-educate ourselves and understand uh, really different and diverse and healthy and nutritious ingredients, and then also figure out how to build that into our cooking repertoire and understand how these pieces go together. And, uh, you know, Mary and I have been plant-based for five years and, you know, we're still learning new things every single day and trying to make sense of, of, of this world and, uh, you know, wanting to be really open and understanding to, to folks that, that don't necessarily want to go, go all plant-based, um, and really wanting to, you know, empower people to just think a little bit more critically about the food that they're putting in their body and the choices that they're making. And, uh, whether or not it's because you're an environmentalist and you're really concerned about climate change and the impact that your diet is having, or whether you're, uh, really empathetic and passionate about animal rights and, uh, understanding what, what our food, uh, goes through to get, get to the supermarkets for then us to, to devour at home, uh, or, you know, the, the side that my wife sees every single day as a physician assistant in the cardiovascular clinic, um, you know, all of the, the wonderful, uh, epidemic diseases that are, are caused by some of the diets that we eat, eat today. So, you know, there's a lot of motivations, but I always, I always try to, to cap that off by, <laughs> throwing a caveat in there that, you know, I'm not a zealot. I'm not trying to make everyone go plant-based. I think that that wouldn't be the, the best solution to, to our collective understanding, but, you know, to take a step back and just, you know, take a deep breath and, and think about what you're putting in your body every day is uh, no matter what your diet is, I think a, a pretty healthy thing to do. Definitely. Do you have any uh, quick recommendations on like a, your favorite, um, cookbooks or your favorite plant-based yeah that's that's a really good question um you know so i think rich roll has been pretty influential in in my journey in that regard he's got a couple uh couple cookbooks he's actually has a podcast as well and um invites a lot of folks on to talk about diet and lifestyle and uh really living in a a a plant-based world he also happens to be uh, an ultra endurance athlete that is vegan. So somehow that, that is something I identify with shocker. <laughs> um, yeah, he's got some great things. I also think that just, you know, there's so much open and accessible on the internet for free that, you know, really my recommendations would be less focused on any particular source of recipes and more focused on getting to know your food and getting to know the ingredients that, that you're going to be cooking with um, things like nutritional yeast that have B12 in them. Um, you know, where, where can you get, you know, sources of iron, some of those things that, that plant-based diets are typically a little bit lower in. how can you supplement those pieces and, you know, be smart about it. Cause if you're not smart about it, you're going to end up in a, in a world of hurt. Um, so do your research, read, read a little bit and have conversations with folks that are, you know, exploring, plant-based diets or or dabbling in that area, you know, talk to the cook in your family and, um, you know, just reach out to, to communities. There's a lot of people thinking about these issues and there's a lot, a lot of resources out there to get you started. Nice. Okay. Um, all right, we're going to jump into a couple of questions here for you. These are the questions I ask everybody. And the first one is, uh, well, first off, 
you're an art connoisseur. You you love art. You always have. You you've bought a bunch of paintings from me throughout the years, and um, you know you just we talk art all the time when we when we get together. And uh, so, what's your definition of art? It's a really good question. You know, for me, art lies in creation. I think art art lies in taking something and building it into something else. Um, you know, critically looking at the world around you, reflecting deep within and having that come out in some form of expression. Um, I think my definition of, of art has evolved over the years and um, particularly when I was in Ethiopia and I was uh, blessed with having a, a really fantastic artist living in my village uh, by the name of Seashai. Uh, and uh, Taylor, he actually reminded me a lot of you. He was he was kind of up and coming. Uh, he was pretty good at portraits. He was really good at, you know, taking a picture, um, painting it on, you know, whatever he found that day, uh, whether it be a, a scrap of wood yeah. or um, something that was a little bit more, uh, you know, tailored to a, a canvas. Um, and for me, I've never been super talented myself. Um, I think that, you know, art, art manifests in many, many different ways. And, and my art forms are a little bit more in the, the storytelling region. I think a little bit more in human connection um, and conversation and relationships. Uh, when I find somebody that I'm, I'm moved by, uh, obviously, Taylor, you were, <laughs> you were one of those folks. About way too many of your paintings. In fact, the uh, Tupac, Tupac, Biggie, and uh, uh, or no, Tupac, Bob Marley, and Jimi Hendrix uh, painting that you did on an old carpet is still hanging in my parents' house in Fort Collins, FYI. Um, <laughs> but what I try to do is, you know, find find that inspiration, find that spark, and uh, you know, try to light a fire. And um, you know, art. Art is a very beautiful thing, and I, I think that anyone out there that has something to share with the world uh, should do it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, and I feel like everybody really, if they're looking for new ways to solve problems and to think about the world and to see the world, then they, they are doing that. And that's, I mean, one, I would say that your art, one of your arts is uh, just like creative problem solving you know you and in, in conversations we've talked about like climate change and like what can you what can we really do how are we like how are we all going to collectively solve this problem like you're often thinking about these big situations and uh you look at it with a level head but also with like creative solutions to it and you know same thing with the way that you guys have prepared for your marathons and all these things like you you just are looking to make things better. That's one of your arts. Yeah, I, I appreciate that reflection. I think that, you know, when when you're faced with uh, challenges, when you're you're faced with adversity, like that's that's what humans are are so good at, at kind of adapting to and taking on. Uh, you know, I I always think about soil and. Uh, soil structure and how soil really comes together to solve 
to solve all of nature's problems. When you think of how incredibly efficient soil is, they're the best recyclers that we've ever seen. Uh, anything that goes in, we, we basically retain about 99% of, of those nutrients and that energy. And, you know, when you look at just how complex our soil structures are, it makes you think about how as humans you can interact with one another and, you know, in like a, a teaspoon of soil, you know, you've got over a billion bacteria that are just sitting in there and they're all hanging out. And their entire goal is when that leaf falls on the ground is to jump on that leaf and start breaking that thing down and get that energy back into the system to then recycle into a new tree someday. And, you know, the way that I kind of think about some of those, you know, permaculture type of principles and apply it to my own life and think about the, the folks that are around me, you know, we all are vessels and we all need to, to capture the energy, you know, within our systems. And we need to figure out how can we retain as much of that energy as possible? And how can we not let that energy just slip out of our grasp and sink, sink deep, deep away from us? How can we figure out how to harvest that and recycle it in a way that we can then share it with the next, the next human that's, that's trying to solve their own problems. Um, and, and one of the, the greatest memories that I have with you is, uh, you know, our, our little hangout sessions where you're out, you got a canvas out, you're doing, doing a big painting. I would just come over. Uh, we would just shoot the shit and we just hang out and just talk about life and connection and, you know, the way that I view those types of conversations, the conversation that we're having right now with you and, and uh, the, the folks listening in is, you know, we are all part of this amazing structure and, you know, we are alive just like soil is alive and everything comes from folks like us that are able to, to cross pollinate and keep that energy going uh, and, and keep it out of the, <laughs> The, the common pitfalls and traps that our society has literally all over the place for us. So um, just super grateful and, and appreciative to have, to have this connection with you. <laughs> Same here, man. Same here. Yeah. I mean, this, at the end of my podcast, I always acknowledge my guests for being on and why I had you here. And I mean, you're just, you're just an awesome human being and we, we got to know each other years ago and we've always uh we connected right from the start and we've always just had awesome conversations like you said and and it's just really great to watch you live your life and go along and do your thing and go to ethiopia and get married and and have kids and have family and run these marathons and like there's just so much expansive growth going on in your world and um you're you're a shining light out there which is really well, cool. I, I appreciate that i'm i'm picturing uh you know the 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 lighthouse that is a shining light and uh you know you're you're shining your light right back at me so i don't crash into those rocks so i i appreciate appreciate you more than you know man <laughs> um i got okay so two more things one is uh, i want to make sure that people know how to connect with you if if you're available for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, I'm on Instagram. Um, you know, that's, that's a good, that's a good question. I, I, I actually don't have my handle, uh, memorized probably because it's, it's not top of mind for me. 
Um, but I'm, I'm sure you can, you can link it in the show notes. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yep. Yep. No problem. Um, and then we got a couple more minutes and I have one more question that I've been asking people recently, which is if you could uh, go back and give yourself advice, like you from, you know, 10 to 15 years old, go give yourself advice. What would that it's a be? Really, it's a really fantastic question. Uh, you know, if I were to go back and, and chat to my, my younger self, um, you know, I think the one, the one thing that I would say is, is be a yes man, continue to be a yes man and let, let the world open up to you. Um, you know, I was growing up, I was shy and, uh, you know, it, it took, it took a lot for me to, to break out of that shell and just go explore the world around me. And I think a lot of people can relate to that and, and probably still in certain situations, I'm, I'm kind of hiding in that shell. And, uh, I think that, you know, reflecting back on, on, you know, opportunities that, that have, have come and gone and, uh, experience that I've had, I think that, you know, just being open and willing to embrace challenges that are in front of you and step into them wholeheartedly, knowing that, you know, failure is good and failure is healthy. And the more you fail, the more, you know, and the more, you know, the more successful in, in life that you'll be. Uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, totally. I mean, I can definitely relate to that, you know, being shy at times and yeah, who knows how many opportunities we've you know, have come and gone. Luckily, the world continues and we all have more opportunities. And it's really cool how we can take those same ideas and be like, okay, well, if that was the case, why not apply that now? And what does that mean now? Um, well, Ben, thanks for being on the show. We got about 30 seconds. So I got to We got to roll on this. Um, Taylor, thank you so much for having me. Uh, super impressed and and just amazed at your creativity and ingenuity and and putting this this piece together on top of all of the other amazing uh, pieces of artwork you put out to the world so i wish you you know just the absolute best and and keep doing what you're doing thanks man appreciate it later cheers so that my friends was Benjamin August Blair Morse, the one and only. Um, that was a great episode. Uh, it's amazing to me how fast these go by. Uh, sometimes an hour feels like a really long time. And when, when these podcasts are recording, for me, from my perspective, they just fly by. And I, I kind of wish that they were twice as long, three times as long, so I could really um, get get even deeper into these conversations but uh yeah this was great i i love i love getting ben talking uh one of my favorite things is to just like throw questions at him and see how he fields them and he's always liked to do that to me too (laughs) we have like a mutual um we get a kick out of each other type thing uh but yeah that was great definitely reach out to him on instagram he's at benjamin underscore August underscore Blair. He's got a lot of experience in plant-based, um, ultra marathons in world travel, you know, whatever you want to talk to him about. He's, he's always game. He's, he's always up for whatever sort of a conversation you want to have. So say what's up to him. Tell him what you thought of the interview. 
And uh, as always, definitely subscribe to the podcast and share this out to anybody who's creatively driven in one way or the other. This whole thing is an experiment uh, just in to see what kind of magic we can drum up. And then also the intention is to inspire people because um, podcasts have been a big part of my growth as a professional, as an artist, as a human. And that's one thing that I wanted to turn back to the world and give back because, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't be where I'm at today, definitely, without some of the podcasts that I've listened to that have helped me along the way. And they're just such cool ways to like sit in on a conversation and gain understanding and wisdom and knowledge from other people who've been through it already so that you don't have to go through some of the same stuff or you can you know choose to pursue those same things if they're good so that's what it's all about folks uh i appreciate you listening and i hope that you're enjoying things feel free to send me a message i'm at taylor g murals everywhere on all the things and uh i'd love to hear from you i always appreciate feedback and yeah i hope you're having a great day and making the best out of whatever situation that you find yourself in. Life is crazy. Life is a challenge. We're all going through it. Um, Being a human is kind of a weird experience, but there's a lot of beauty in it as well. And especially if we can set ourselves up for success, we can find that a lot more often than not. So thanks again. Have a good one.